From deep in the heart of Texas, it's time to chain fire some freedom with another episode of the Clover Tack Podcast. Listen in as we have a conversation with people from the firearm industry and community. Are you ready for the show? We are too. Let's go. Welcome to another CloverTech podcast. This one powered by Trailblazer Firearms. It is October 26th, 2022. If you are in replay, well, thank you for joining us and we hope you make it through the entire hour or so conversation here uh, as the folks file in on the live end. Just like to say, if you can make these, uh, and they're usually up on the channel several days and sometimes even weeks ahead of time. Uh, if you do file in live, well, that gives you the opportunity to ask questions. But if you are at Replay World, wherever you're at, audio, video, whatever, typically there's comments below. And so you can certainly participate uh, down there. I uh, want to uh, take a minute and give a shout out to the Patreon patrons and the YouTube channel members. There's been quite a few YouTube channel members come on board lately. Uh, I'm trying to think. Obnoxious One, Gizzard, Gary the Gun Snob. Uh, Ozzy Orsborn and uh, who else? I'm forgetting somebody probably, uh, but uh, thanks for that. Appreciate it. I always like to thank those folks that keep things going. Also, those that super chat, super thanks. That shop, clovertack.com slash shop. Speaking of that, there's something kind of cool, kind of related to uh, swag and stuff like that uh, coming up. So stay tuned for next week's podcast on that one. Uh, should be a good one. We're going to do a ghost in clover. Haven't done that in a while. So looking forward to that and making a big announcement. So make sure you join us for that as well. Um, like I said, a little bit more on trailblazer firearms later on who powers, of course, the podcast here. Uh, and then want to say, uh, go check out FirearmsRadio.net. Uh, proud to be a uh, part of that group of fine podcasts, I say fine podcasts, they accepted this one also. Maybe that's not necessarily true, but either way, some pretty cool podcast over there. Go check that out, uh, firearmsradio.net. Going to be talking uh, as we bring in uh, Eric here with Eric from Galloway Precision about all the cool things that they do. He's been busy, uh, and uh, you guys have been on the podcast before, so... It's going to be good to uh, catch up and see what's different. I'm going to give you a, uh, a second. First of all, Eric, welcome, but I want to give you a second. And real quick, just a 30,000-foot uh, overview for those out there that might not be familiar with Galloway Precision because, as I told you in the pre-chat, I did run into somebody a few days ago that uh, you guys fit the bill perfectly for what he needed, and he had no clue you existed. So for the folks like that, uh, give them that uh, really quick introduction um okay i guess we've been around about 15 years now so uh we started out doing ruger polymer pistols uh, that's how we got our start with the lc9 and the sr9 series pistols now we do extensions trigger kits guide rods um, pretty much anything internal on the, on the pistol families for the major brands and a lot of the small brands that nobody really, really works on uh, we do everything in-house except for springs we have IS Maker Springs, and we got into, before it really became popular, milling slides, and now it's a huge part of what we do. Um, we have a dedicated CNC mill that that's all it does is milling slides, and we have a, another one that just does optic mounts for existing pistols uh, you know, that just replace the rear sight. So that's kind of 
the bulk of what we do right now, everything, you know, from uh, the trigger all the way back to the hammer. Now, do, do, do those machines, do they ever stop running? Unfortunately, yeah, labor is a shortage, right? Uh, so, yeah, I've got five CNC mills that run about 10 hours a day, five days a week, and I've got nine uh, 3D printers that run basically 20 hours a day. Okay. So they're printing carbon fiber nylon, so it's, it's similar in strength to the aluminum. Gotcha. Now the maintenance on the on the CNC machines, obviously, I mean, there's some type of maintenance schedule. I'm assuming on those, right? Yeah, yeah. We have a monthly PM that we do. We we shut each machine down individually, go through, make sure things lubed, the waves are tight, ball screws are tight, and there's like a spindle inspection that we do. We put the indicator on it, and just, you know, spin it, make sure the bearings are good. Right. Right. But not super intensive, but yeah, it's important. Yeah. I was actually uh, actually talking about you guys on a podcast last night that it come up. They were talking about uh, we were talking about reloading, and uh, it, the conversation got into progressive presses. And I was talking about when I first got my Dillon five fifty, and I said, you know, I said uh, first right out of the gate loading three eighty on that five fifty, uh, I ended up. I don't want to say I had a double charge because I don't think you can double charge a three eighty, right. but I definitely overcharged it definitely. Mm -hmm. And I swear to this day, for everybody out there, I will, I will swear by Galloway Precision. I think I had everything you guys make for the LCP. And and I, I stand by it. Had I not had all those upgrades in that LCP uh, with the boom that happened when I put the gear on that dude, I think it would have come apart. So uh, I think you guys saved my bacon on that. It wasn't just a, hey, I'm looking to upgrade. It was, but when that happened, I'm like, you know what? Uh, there may be other reasons, yes. right, to, to yeah. look into some, some aftermarket options as well. Mm -hmm. You get into some of the high chamber pressures of spring to suck up some of that energy if it gets a little too wild. That's a good thing. Right, right. Um, now, as far as the, the different, uh, as we've got people that are filing in out there live, uh, give us a rundown. Currently, the, the brands that you guys service, the brands that you guys uh, not only have, you know, the upgrades and the accessories for, but the ones you work with on the uh, machining side of things as well. Uh, I'm sure that list is long and distinguished, but can you give us a quick, quick rundown for those out there that might be listening? Yeah, let's see. So I think I counted the other day, we have 287 mill programs to mill product. So we have a lot of standing programs. We work on Glock, of course, uh, all the different SIGs. Um, we do the XD, XDM. We mill directly to the slide in place of the rear sight for micro optics. Uh, we've been milling car slides uh, for the micro optics. We do uh, the SAR USA guns, uh, like the SAR 9 and the uh, ST9 series. Uh, we've done actually surprising a lot of those. Uh, let's see what else. We've done a bunch of Tauruses. They've been really popular. People sending in the G3s, uh, getting right. them milled. Uh, Trying to think, I did. I did three six today and two, two, uh, yeah, two Tauruses, and I think I did like three more that were a mixed batch. One was like a SAR, and one was a. Uh, gosh, I can't. Remember. I don't know. They're still running together, but yeah, we we do them for Taurus. We've done a few Keltex. We do lots of Rugers, lots of Sigs. Maybe you did Diamondbacks. We've done several Diamondbacks, believe it or not, for micro optics, little DB9s. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. So you can think of it, we probably laid hands on it. We don't do any brownings. Uh, the CZs are another one that just, they're hard to fit because they're so narrow. Talking about like the high power? Yeah. Yeah. I've had a lot of requests, surprisingly, over the last month. They're popular now. Yeah. They've come back yeah. around. Yeah. I guess I need to get one and, and cut it up so I can test it before I let customers bother sending me one to even, you know, look at and make sure what fit, what won't fit. You know, being a, a service shop like we are, there's a lot of torp guns that we buy and <laughs> destroy them so we don't have to worry about hurting a customer's mind. Right. Yeah, you got to be really careful with uh, with things like that. But talking about the, the machining side of things, optics is one side. And then, of course, you know, I'm guessing you're talking about the slide cuts and, and things of that nature, right? Yeah, we do um, a little bit of that. What, what primarily, other than the optics side, as far as the machining, what primarily are you guys doing the most of? The most of you, the forward caulking serrations on pistol. Okay. You know, I'm a big, big into use the caveman grip, get on top of the slide, and the smaller pistols don't typically have those. And it's, it's a big help when you're trying to rack them, especially folks with like issues with like arthritis, and we've had folks that have had uh, like missing fingertips and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And as far as as far as all of that, do you guys have standard designs that you do, mm-hmm. or is it custom order to you know what the customer wants, or how does how does that work? So on like the serrations and stuff, we have two different sizes that I offer and it's just a can size so that the customer's not stuck paying for the time to have me program it and then test cut and then actually work on their slide. It just saves them time and money as long as they don't, you know, if they absolutely have to have something crazy, we've done that. It just costs a lot more. Right, right. Uh, does anything stick out in your mind that was anything wild and crazy somebody wanted and they said, hey, I'm going to pay for this, make it happen. And you thought, man, this is, I wouldn't yeah. spend money on this. <laughs> I, had, I had a customer with a uh, car um, PM9 and he wanted the cash logo, like the little cash symbol for his caulking serrations. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we put three dollar signs on each side for his caulking serrations and the gentleman was tickled to death and you know, I've not ran it since then, but he was thrilled, you know, and I thought, Oh, he's smiling. He's happy. It's, it's not what I would have come up on my own, but <laughs> right. Yeah. To each their own. I mean, personalization is, is certainly a thing, mm-hmm. you know, people like to put that personal aspect aspect on things. Now, when you jump from the, you know, that type of machining with the cocking serrations into optics, like the optic, the optic game on, and you guys, your slogan is the carry pistol specialist. So mm-hmm. you had to know this was coming, I'm sure, yeah. uh, with the optics thing, but it's really blown up and, yeah. you know, I'm on the fence. I don't, I don't really like optics on a, on a carry, uh, piece, but at the same time, I understand why some people might choose to go that route. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, and I'm not going to say I don't have handguns that don't have optics on them. You know, I do, uh, just not my carry, my carry stuff. So, um, you know, you guys have been super busy with that, obviously. Um, I guess the first question out of the gate that I've got is, um, it seems like more and more manufacturers are coming optics ready. Mm -hmm. So with that being the case, why do you think that you guys are just continually getting more and more and more busy? I would say it's because, like you said, the optics, it's such a big window now, and you've got so many options. And the, the, the factory, they've listened to the client, which is good, and the customer said, I want to put an optic on it out of the box, but it's limited, you know, what they can fit, wow. what, what they'll mill for, I guess, and, and you get the custom aspect. We can put 
not any optic you want, but we have the ability to give you the options you won't get out of the box. Right. Gotcha. And which is what's currently the, the number one, I guess, model that you guys see for that people adding the, uh, hands the down the 507k, 407k, uh, hollow sign, those things. I milled seven op- seven slides today, and six of them were for 507k, 407k. Wow. Okay. Okay. So, and what about the what about the firearm side? What about the, the handgun model? Do you uh, see probably, more of any any one thing than the other? I would say it, it would be a tie between <clears throat> we mill uh, the Sig 938s for okay. direct mount, like micro, like the 507k, 407k footprint, um, and it'd be either that or a car we, we do in any given month we probably do 50 of those two combined so right right they're the most common now when you when you talk about because you obviously deal with this on a on a regular basis for those out there that that may be new to things you know maybe they've just bought their first handgun even or maybe they're just doing the homework watching or listening to this you know in preparation for that uh when you talk about the footprint can you elaborate a little more on what you're talking about? You know, how yeah. many of those footprints are different, why that matters? So you have basically three common footprints. You have the RMR from Chudakon. Everybody knows it's king of the hill. Like it's <laughs> right. But it's a wide pattern and it's fairly long. So the optics manufacturers, like if you go to SHOT Show and you talk to them or any of the other shows like that, the, they'll, rec- they'll reference it wide, narrow, or micro. And so wide is going to be like a RMR or the 507C. I think, uh, what is it, the Kingslayer? I think that's what the ADE calls theirs, or Swamp Fox or something. Mm-hmm. And then you've got the Narrow, which is all going to be a clone of the original Burris Fastfire. Oh, ah, okay. ADE's 06, 07s, I think, share that one. The Vortex Viper, Vortex Vim, um, a couple of the others that aren't quite as common. And then you have the micros, and they're all going to be a clone of the Shield RMSC. Um, that would be, let's see, 507K, 407K, uh, Romeo Zero, um, the Liberty Optic, the Crimson Trace 1550. And I think there's a couple others that share it. I don't know off the top of my head. Right. And so with uh, with that footprint, uh, and I'm asking, I'm asking some fairly remedial questions here, but there's a reason that I'm, that I'm doing it. I, I promise I am. Uh, I run into a lot of, a lot of new guys and, and green guys and, and gals. Women are, are becoming a huge thing on the, uh, uh, firearm ownership and the, especially the carry sector. Um, if somebody was to, let's say, get their slide milled, or maybe they buy it with one footprint and then for whatever reason they move to another, is there a way to deal with that at all? It depends on which direction they're going. You know, if they're going right. to go to a like a narrow pattern, standard narrow pattern, and they want to go down to a, a micro, usually that's very very easy. You just have a gap where the the shorter micro. <clears throat> if you if you're trying to go the other direction, it's just is there enough real estate to mill? And that's, right, that's not a not a meat to do it. Mm-hmm. But the pattern they both share a 14 millimeter bolt pattern. So that those two families share that as long as there's enough real estate to pull it off. But the, you get into the uh, RMR, SRO, uh, 507C, those are much wider. They're about the same length. They're slightly longer than the narrow pattern, but you know you can you can always put a smaller one in there to just be a gap. Right, right. Um, Going to take a, uh, a quick break. John out there, 
Uh, and we'll uh, we'll throw this up on the screen real quick. But uh, where was he at? I missed him. Oh, good Lord. Uh, live television, people. Got to love it. He says, uh, where's Trailblazer located? He said, I'm available for relocation. Uh, interesting. You should ask that, John, because, uh, yeah, let's talk just for a brief second here about Trailblazer Power Arms. Where are they located? North Carolina, right here in the good old America and uh, small company doing some really cool and innovative things. If you hadn't had a chance to make an NRA show or uh, any of the other things, shot show, some of the other things that they've uh, showcased their firearms at, they're really doing some really cool things specifically with a life card, which has been around for a while credit card size, little 22 long 22 Magnum single shot uh, handgun. You know, not everybody's cup of tea, but uh, certainly a cool, innovative little handgun nonetheless and uh haven't heard from them uh in a little while but if it hasn't released it should be coming pretty soon and i know i've talked about that probably for weeks now but the uh, pivot which is a little nine millimeter not really little i guess when it's all folded and flipped and uh and slid together in the small package i guess it is a little but a uh nine millimeter carbine uh, and yes, it takes Glock mags, in case you're wondering. But uh, that one they call the Trailblazer Pivot and should be releasing that soon. Uh, you can check all that out uh, over with Trailblazer Firearms, of course. And if you do decide, hey, I want to uh, pull the trigger, no pun intended, uh, and get one of those life cards, you can save 10% with code CloverTech uh, on that. So uh, get me off the screen and out of shill mode here. Get back to Eric. Um, yeah, I mean, I, as far as the footprint, I mean, do you see, you know, you said the hollow sun, right? What footprint was the hollow sun you're, you're talking about? Because when you mentioned the numbers, those kind of get my oh, mind boggled a little bit. The small the, one? The small one is the K, and unfortunately, they, they weren't very original. 507 is like a whole string of optics. And they throw a different letter in, but the C is the bigger one. It's a clone of the RMR pattern, and the K is the small one. It just fits so many more more slides. I think it's why it's so common now. And it's right, you know, with the the world we live in now, with availability and everything, I think it's also just available is a big portion of it. It just happens to be a really good choice. It, it's I have I've only had one customer say they had a problem with the optic after use, mm -hmm. and Hollow Sun fixed it. Or, well, it fixed. I think they just replaced it. So they, their warranty is pretty good if you do have to use it. I think that's a big draw for the Hollow Sun brand. I, I was skeptical when they first came out, and we got a 507C, I don't know, maybe six years ago, and just beat the snot out of it, and it mm -hmm. just kept working. So it impressed me. You know, I was like, wow, okay. And the 507K is, is proving to, to be very similar in durability. Yeah. Hollow Sun is, is definitely a big name. Uh, I remember when they came out, it was, you know, it, it took a little time, right? Yeah. Uh, but you got the big dogs in the in the in the field. You talked about the Burris. I mean, I've used Burris for a decade plus. You know, they had had red dots, right? Uh, Trigicon. Um, you know, you've got these these big names that have been doing it forever. And so when these new companies pop up, it, and the trend has to shift that direction, right? Like we wouldn't have the Hollow Suns and the and the Swamp Fox and and all of these other uh, really good you know, optics companies that have, have come along in the, in the past few years, if that trend toward, you know, carry optics, let's say, yeah. uh, had not progressed to the point it was. So, you know, the market, I guess, blowing up on those is a good thing for companies to come in and, 
and, and fill that void. You have more options because it would suck if you just had two or three options. But now yeah. with optics, you have so many. Um, it's super good to know that they they pretty much adhere to, you said, kind of a small, medium, large footprint, yeah. right? So it's pretty good to hear that, uh, you know, at least they stick to, to some type of a format because yeah. if they all had their own, it would really suck. <laughs> oh, yeah, the but I will I will throw this out there the the Bushnell optics I have zero experience with them past they have an oddball footprint uh, mm-hmm. they don't match any of the standard three and their their overall length and stuff is consistent but the bolt pattern itself is different so that I mean we can mill for them here but we don't the optics plate families that we offer for different handguns don't fit because it's an oddball bolt pattern so right. that's kind of bear in mind and the new RMR what's well, not new anymore the RMR CC it says RMR at the the name, and it is narrow, but it's the same length as an RMR. But it uses a very odd, super narrow pattern, and it's a five forty thread, and it's the only thing that will fit through the body. <laughs> so wow, they they've got some, you know, Triticon said, okay, we're gonna make something everybody's gonna want, and it's gonna be unique. So we we offer a couple of optic plates for that, and we mill for it. Uh, but that's something to kind of consider too. You get RMR durability with a little bit narrower of a, you know, of a body. Uh, if people are, are interested in that, if you, you steer people into the the really high end, super durable ones, it's a good choice. It is very hard to find support for it, though. but we can mill for it. But I don't, I don't really know anybody outside of us making optic plates to mount them. Right. Now, when you uh, when you are milling for these optics, uh, I guess. Two questions, but kind of kind of birds of the same feather, so to speak. Um, if you're dealing with a handgun that is available in a, and already available from the factory in an optics-ready version, it's just that person doesn't have it. Um, are there are there drawbacks to that, or and and or if you're dealing with one that doesn't have any factory options for that? And but in either case, what are you guys looking for? Like, yes, we can mill this, or hey, we got to look out for these trouble spots. Mm-hmm. What goes into determining if it's going to be if it's going to work? If there's enough meat in the slide? If it's going to be safe? Those types of things. So the the biggest thing we always have to kind of be looking at is where if the gun has a blocker, where it's going to end up in relationship with bolts, and of course the width of the slide. A lot of folks want the the standard RMR or or the clones. It just won't fit. There's just not enough meat to put the bolts in. But ultimately, it always comes down to, is there the real estate there? And then what's underneath it? If the blocker is underneath it, or we have, uh, most people are familiar with the Glock ejector system or extractor system, and it has the big, long rod that drives off the back cover. That can get in the way, depending on the, the type of pistol. And we've done it long enough now that we actually go in and counterbore it and clear that hole, thread down to it, and have the correct length screws but you know depending on experience with slides and stuff that may not be something that comes up on radar till the gun's built and all of a sudden the extractor doesn't work so you're not aware of it but right right those are the two big things you have to be aware of now when y'all are when y'all are milling do you do you have an option or do you try to save the rear sight if you if at all possible or do you have people that don't carry the way how does that how does that work so that falls into like two things. One, if the customer wants it, we usually are able to do it. But there are some guns that just, it's just not an option. Uh, anything with like a Novak cut typically is not going to have enough material forward with the rear sight. 
to fit an optic. So we end up having like 1911s. We we just mill out the the dovetail in the back, and I usually recommend if, if the customer's open to it, uh, Delta Point Pro because it fits well. It has the option for a rear sight built into it, and we can really sink it in there nice and deep. And it looks the lines look right. You know what I mean? It, it's right. As it well on those narrow slides, it fits well, and you get a rear sight with a Delta Point Pro. So that's that's probably the big the big determining factor is always the rear sight. But there's some like the XD XDMs we don't we just don't mill for it forward to the rear sight. We delete it and only support the micros because they fit. They fit back there. It doesn't alter the LCI. It doesn't alter the blocker or in their case they have a fixed uh, extractor. So all that remains intact and altered and you still get the little notch. Most of the micros have a rear notch that sort of works as a rear sight and a matching front sight if necessary. So we'll, uh, we'll grab a question real quick. Buck out there. Uh, he says, what's the time frame on getting an RMR cut on your slide? So I know you guys are super busy right now. What is the, what's the lead time now? And then typically what so is, I, what is the lead time? I'll let you answer that twice. Yeah. So I'm thinking I'll have to check the workload. I don't, I don't handle the incoming stuff. I just get told, uh, here's the, the ones. <laughs> what <laughs> the to one, do, right? Yeah. You need to get do this. Uh, but we're doing anywhere from about 15 to 25 a week. Um, and so that's typically we get, I don't know, maybe two or three a day. So we're running around a week to 10 days right now. Turn around. Mm -hmm. uh, John out there, you got to be a little more specific. Maybe he says RMR plates in the future for slides already with the basic cuts. So I don't know if he's talking an adapter plate or, or mm -hmm. what there. We actually already offer some of those for the Canic series of pistols. So, so as, a, as the customers come to us asking for it, we're, we're starting to address it. Um, the METE line coming out from SAR and from Canic already. I don't know why they share. I don't know why they share their labeling, but uh, we're getting ready to introduce an RMR plate for the METE. Uh, that will okay. be aluminum instead of that oddball little plastic thing they ship with that customers just don't like i don't i don't blame them so we're, we're right trying to, but that, that's coming for the ones that are already out there some of the guns uh maybe a little bit odd looking with it but if customers want it we'll try to provide it is that the is that the biggest hurdle when you're talking about you're know, trying to adapt something is it just like you said the lines don't match up it just looks a little wonky uh typically it's just if, if you get into the long ones like that and the slide's short and it's meant for a micro, it may get the optic really close to the ejection port. So you get a lot of soot and stuff on it. So that's uh, one of the reasons I, you know, I kind of look at that when we make the sample and, and test fire it. You know, I kind of look at that and, and I've actually kind of, eh, we're going to have to just put it back and maybe go direct, you know, behind it. And we've sent samples out to customers and they've been like, I don't like it going backward towards the rear side or replacing you have to remove the rear sight to make enough real estate. I get it, but there's a limit to, we're trying to look ahead to make sure we don't give somebody something that's not going to be what they're looking for specifically. Right. Now, when you, that was an interesting thing you said there. I want to follow up on that when you said we send the samples out to the customer. So what are you, what are you talking about there? That's, that's weird. So we're, we're hundred percent customer driven. I, I, I think a lot of times I have a great idea. And it may be a great idea to me, but it's not what customers want. It's not what they're right. going to buy. It's not a solution for what they need. So when customers contact us and say, hey, I want to do this, 
usually, you know, I've got a notebook on my, my desk and I just write down stuff like that and make a, a note of the, the person's email address and come back to it when I get enough interest in it or if I, those rare occasions when I'm sitting there staring at the computer going, I need to change gears and do something before I get frustrated with whatever project. <laughs> right. And uh, we'll do a sample and I'll contact that person or persons and be like, hey, I've got a sample of what we talked about a month ago or six months ago or even in some cases over a year ago. Would you try it and just tell me what you think? And, you know, I'm not perfect, so I need feedback to make the product right. work better, you know, to meet the needs, not just what I think will work, but what, okay, I may not do something that the customer's going to do with it because, I, you know, I do this every day. So, I, you know, I'm standing in the woods, you know, I can't, right. I can't force sometimes. So, yeah, yeah the curse of knowledge. Right. And just being too close to something. And it's like a, being an engineer, I want to make it work, but it may not be everything it could be without the feedback. Right, right. The Magnum out there, he says, uh, what's the dog freaking out in the background? So My, my wife's French bulldog's been locked out of my speakeasy, and she's not happy. Nice, nice. I can go okay. get her if you guys want to see the dog in my lap, but she'll be on the camera nonstop. She, is she, is she, so she likes the camera? What you're She's saying. a bit of a diva. She likes to see her own picture. <laughs> like we can put a phone in the floor on camera, and she'll just sit there and stare at it and turn her head. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, that sounds like a whole new YouTube or Instagram or something channel right there. You you may be in the wrong business. Is what I'm I saying. Be. She is. Uh, she's pretty cute. You know, she she turns it on. All right. Um. So let's shift shift gears a little bit because you know we talk about all the other things. Let's get away from the machining a little bit, unless we unless we've missed something. There's there's something that we've glossed over on the machining side of things. A, a point that you really need to drive home. Uh, just availability. We 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 produce everything in house. So if we're out of stock of something, it's not we discontinued it. It's just we're trying to get production call back up. Gotcha, gotcha. Uh, so yeah, talking about uh, the other avenues, I guess. Yeah, where do you want to start? I, I don't know. I mean, we've done a tremendous amount of stuff over the last few years for extensions. Uh, the customers have, have reached out and wanting us to do. And so we're doing the carbon fiber nylon with a fiberglass fill. So it's real similar to aluminum. Um, Strength-wise, and they've, they've been a big success. You know, people right. really enjoy them and we're able to produce them a lot cheaper than hard milling them out of the billet stock. And you get good durability out of them. So that, that's been a big, a big change is the 3D printer world has entered into the gun industry it's it's been a big change now to print with the with the the media the material that you're you're talking about for those um is that something that requires a special machine special components i'm a 3d printing idiot when it comes to that i have not i've threatened for a couple of years now to buy one and i have not jumped into the deep into that pool yet but i know that a lot of people out there watching and listening do 3d printing so with that carbon fiber stuff you're talking about is it a special machine special components uh, it's it's a specialized workhead the machines we use are uh, they're about 12 to fifteen thousand dollars each okay so oh yeah that's not, a lot different than a few hundred bucks <laughs> right they're not like you're not gonna go to walmart and pick these up um, they're they're made in uh, germany and they're designed around the material they, they didn't they didn't make it to run just nylon or whatever it was designed from the word uh. go and they actually have the ability to print with two different heads at the same time so they can print and the primary material which is the carbon fiber nylon and then they can fill in the components with uh, fiberglass or kevlar so you can add strength you know 
or you can have some crazy flexibility with a Kevlar that makes it it's pretty pretty wild, right? Uh, and other than those extensions, is there anything else you're doing with that? Because it sounds like with that technology, there's first of all, I guess how long have you guys had those machines and and been doing that? Let me ask that first. So we got our first one. Uh, 2018, I think. Yeah, it was okay. 2018. Um, and we started the first thing I got it for originally was to do the extensions to try that, and it worked out really well. And we've moved in, we actually make some triggers out of that material. Um, the Shield EZ triggers that we make are one, we do a Smith and Wesson SD trigger. Um, trying to think what else. Uh, we make some Canic triggers out of the material it's worked out really really well i've been very pleased with it um, the safety blades we make for like our ruger triggers are made with that material we actually print the blade and that gets assembled into an aluminum trigger and so it keeps the costs down and they're very easy very easy to, to service as a result surprisingly it worked out better than i expected right and that's what i would think is something like that even though you don't you talked about you don't really have the diversity when it comes to the material with that machine, I would think you would have infinite possibilities with what you could do, uh, parts, pieces, and accessories. Speaking yeah. to those things, they've come they've come a long way in the technology and the software is very easy for us to manipulate once we design it and create the three D drawing. It's 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 very impressive. I've been very pleased to. We actually went to um, uh, Raleigh, Raleigh, North Carolina, for a demo of the new metal printing machine they're making um, from the same company. It's impressive. It's very, very impressive. It's about a hundred grand. Um, so it's cheaper than the bigger machines that do metal printing that require like a, like a factory floor. This one's about the size of a dinner table and it does everything from the print to the wash to the centering. It's, it, it nice. opens up a whole different level of stuff that I'm kind of, I'm kind of excited to get into it. The price tag of course keeps me standing at arm's reach going, Oh, I you thought know. you was going to tell me you've had six of them on the way. No, already. no, no. You know? no it's, it's on my wish list, but we, <laughs> we bought another, uh, another CNC mill. And so that kind of sucked up my funds for this year. So maybe next year we'll, we'll be able to, to get into one, but uh, they're on a back order. Like everything else that the guy said, he's like, in all honesty, because if you order it now, he said your delivery might be mid next year. <laughs> so. Well, let's, well, let's talk about that wish list a little bit. If you had that, the 3d printing the the metal printing you're talking about uh is there anything going on any wheels turning in your head that you're willing to share anyway about oh wow we could do x y and z or maybe even simplifying other things you guys already do i i, I really would like to there's a couple triggers that i would like to produce that right now we don't produce because the internal geometry is pretty complex and we can't get away with um printing them out of the carbon fiber, fiber nylon because of the, the stress on the pivot. I'm afraid it would wear over time. I would, it would wear over time. And that's not, I don't want that. I don't want the customer to come back in five years and be like, this thing worked great. And then it started getting sloppy. You know what I mean? So that's, that's the big thing. And the, the complex geometry would be perfect for that. You, know, you print it, it washes it essentially and to get rid of the binding agent and centers it. And you have a finished part that all you'd have to do is ream the holes on the side and, would give the geometry that we want versus, you know, what the generic geometry is for the off-the-shelf gun to give that performance boost. Right, right. And it's, we've I've kicked around the idea of some sears, you know, for a couple brands of guns that customers 
have a contest for and milling them, we could do it, but the cost would be pretty high because of the multiple setups. And mm-hmm. so it would be a perfect part to print, like a sear, a couple different sears. And uh, I've got a redesigned version of a couple strikers for customers that have gave me feedback. Oh, wow prototypes and they've tested it and they loved it and i'm like yeah gosh the production cost is just through the roof so right. i've just shelved the ideas because of that but i think the i think the 3d metal printer would bring that the cost way down to where it would be you know people would pay it i wouldn't feel guilty for charging it you know what i mean because it would be like they're getting a quality part at a very reasonable price and i'm still making profit on it to where it's worth putting it on the shelf right now, realistically, realistically speaking here, and cost aside, and then, of course, the, uh, what am I thinking here? The uh, the time, I guess, aside from the design and, and all of that, all of those things, and, and you're talking about changing the setups, all of that aside, as far as the quality of the part that comes off, the 3D printer, the metal 3D printer you're talking about, how does that compare to the, the CNC machines like you, you would have now? Uh, it's The difference is negligible. It's just not much. Okay. The, the material prints to the almost identical density as a billet rod or a billet bar. Okay. So the heat treat is done all in one, one wax. I mean, honestly, it's, a, it's even better than if you, you machine a part raw off a billet. And then it gets deburred and then sit the heat treat and comes back and then you do another batch three, four months later or whatever. It may be slightly different because you got a different base bar material, you got a different heat treat guy running the furnace, you got a different whatever happens. So it, it consistency is pretty pretty impressive in that aspect. Right. I, I was uh, I was really impressed with the data they had and the samples that I had them do on a couple of prototypes. Uh, I was like, wow, that's that's the next that's that's the next technology jump is this stuff right right uh, now for those out there uh, and I talked about this I think where did I talk about this I don't remember but I was talking about the the high point triggers that you guys had out at one time and I noticed a couple of days ago I jumped over to the site for something and I didn't see them there yeah where did they where did those go what happened are they just out of stock or did demand plummet or the demand's still there the problem is uh high point redesigned the, the pistol and the carbine ah inside and basically i don't know how to really there's like a shelf that was in the guns the carbine and the pistol we used it as a stop for the over travel screw and they deleted it. So we lost the ability to create a positive stop after break. And then they changed where the hinge point is on the trigger. So it was like, well, I could give a, I could give a better trigger face and I could stage it where I wanted it, but they, there'd be no, no stops built into the system. And so you would lose the biggest, I don't know, the biggest part of the change that people would feel, which is the positive stops. And so I, right. I just stopped offering it at that point. I was like, well, yeah, I don't think the upgrade gives the performance level that I want. You know, exactly. The customer ultimately would be happy with it, right? And that makes sense. What if there's somebody out there that has an older model, though? The 500 I had left in stock when I found out about the change that we just ran the, that inventory, we sold out of those and it blew it out. <laughs> yeah, right. ship failed. Right. So, right. That's a that's. I liked it. It, it was a lot of fun. We we did some some stuff with some of the gun channels and stuff that they sent us 
slides and we milled a you know c9 for an rmr and put our trigger in it and they had a riot with it and it was a cool project and stuff like that and we ended up doing a whole bunch of guns for customers that way which really surprised me that they'd want to put a six seven hundred dollar optic on one you know in our trigger and everything and they were happy with it but it just when they changed it it, I just, it wasn't worth it and trying to trying to chase down the difference for the customers so that they could say you know it's this serial number it's that serial number that didn't work either so but that was that was ultimately what killed it was the inability for us to d differentiate which model the customer had to help them and right uh, at this point i'm creating confusion for them and for us so that's true yeah and you certainly don't like you said you, you two things number one you don't want to create a product that doesn't perform to your specification and standards that's obvious um, and then you don't want to send somebody that you know it's the wrong part it won't work for them or whatever the case may be so you know i agree with you it doesn't make a whole lot of sense yeah um, yeah as, as disappointing as it's disappointing as that sounds anyway Sorry. Uh, especially for the carbines, right? The carbines are like super popular. So oh, awesome. They were, we've got a 10 millimeter that they sent us for trials. I don't know, maybe what, three years ago when it came out, I ended up buying it because I was like, no, I don't want to give it back. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Fun. I'll keep that. Yeah. yeah. Nah, we, no we, no we, joke. It's for, yeah, it for the, yeah. Super hard to beat, you know, for the money. I mean, any of that stuff is, uh, but you know, you guys, so the, the other improvements, uh, you know, I noticed the other thing I noticed and I'm almost positive. I got stuff from you guys back in the day. I carry still carry a Glock 42 had that mm -hmm. LCP, um, that was, was pimped from, you know, the, the stuff you guys had. Uh, and then, and that, I think that was long before I ever even knew you, I think. Right, yeah. Um, and then the, uh, the Glock 42, Mm -hmm. uh, moved from an LCP under Glock 42, still, still carry the Glock 42. Um, but I was also looking at that and I don't see a lot of stuff for the 42 in there. Yeah. So we, we sort of just dropped that line because the sales tapered off. Oh, thank you. Appreciate it for just forgetting yeah. me like that. All right. Nice. It, wasn't, it wasn't you. Uh, we did a whole bunch of guide rod assemblies for, uh, one of the Glock store companies, I don't even know which one it was. We, we sold a ton of those to them and they reboxed them. And it, it was good for us on that, but I think that that huge jump before they started farming them offshore kind of sucked up our sales on them and they just sort of dwindled. And it was like the offshore ones were being made way cheaper than we could make them here. So it was one of those, all right, well, we'll just sell out of what we got and it was funny because I ended up selling the, the inventory of springs we had to them to put on the imported rods. <laughs> so, like I said, they'll name no names mentioned, but it you know, it was one of those deals where it was like they were like, Do you have any springs we're gonna bind? And I'm like, Oh, did they not come in the container ship? <laughs> right. Right. Uh well thankfully mine's still okay. You know, yeah. if I ever gotta do any do any replacement, it might uh might present a problem. But you know, so right. far so good, you know. Um, now you know, speaking of, you know, the accessories, the upgrades, little things like guide rod springs, like, you know, uh, even, even when you get into the triggers and stuff like that, what prompts you guys to say, Hey, we need to produce this, or we need to make these, or we need to sell these Just customers. Like I said, we're hundred percent driven. Uh, they reach out to us through email or, or some of them call and, uh, they're like, hey, I need it to do this. Or I need this gun to do that. And 
I'll make a note of it. Some of the, like I said, some of them are ideas we're already kicking around just from getting a gun and playing around with it. Um, mm-hmm. I don't get to shoot as much as I would like to shoot. Uh, but when I do, you know, a lot of times it ends up me playing with a new pistol that's on the market and just kind of trying to come up with ideas of it. But until the customers start coming to us for it, <clears throat> it's rare that, that I'll, I'll jump product out there because like I said, I, I really rely on that feedback for what they they're looking for and expecting to be able to do and, you know, design the product behind that. Right. Now, as far as the stuff that you play with and you think, oh, you know, I could do better changing this spring or the guide rod or this trigger or whatever it might be. Do you, have you found over the years, does that become more and more difficult for you to identify things to improve upon? And what I'm saying is, is the, is the fire manufacturers doing a better job at, at getting things right from the jump, so to speak? It depends. Uh, depends on the maker. <laughs> yeah, it depends on the maker. Um, and I think whatever the gun is meant, like a service pistol, a carry pistol, or like a micro pistol or something like that. Right. They, I don't know that I'd say they've gotten better about it, but I think they've gotten more responsive to the, the customer to where they they may not make the changes, but they'll produce a new gun that maybe is part of what people are asking for. Right. And it still falls on the aftermarket to tune it. You know, I've said for over a decade, I've said, Hey, we, we kind of, uh, are a boutique, you know, I had a customer call us a boutique a long time ago, but he's right. We're a boutique. We cater to like 1%, you know, the 1% of the gun owners that buy the gun and they use the gun to its limits and go, I need more. And right. They reach out and that's how we end up where we're at with a lot of products and i think the overall gun industry is definitely listening they finally all crawled out of that hole the big the big guys are not competing with who can get the military contract who can get the police contract because they realize that's such a small small amount mm-hmm. of their overall business and they've got to pay attention to the, the regular consumer the regular you know dad husband wife, daughter, whatever that's buying these guns, it's, that's their market. And they don't need to be worried about, does it meet NATO standards for full-fledged <laughs> combat? You know, that's, that's irrational. I don't know how they ever ended up there, but I think they've gotten better about that part of it. Right. Right. Now with, um, you, you talked about Taurus a little bit earlier. You talked about the G3, people sending in those. Um, you know, the stuff from Taurus, I think since the, especially since the G3 line, mm-hmm. uh, I would say maybe at that millennium, that PT-111 was, was horrible, right. I think. But <laughs> that was the pre-G2, so I'm not even a huge fan of the, of the G2. But the 3 and 4, the, the more modern stuff, pretty solid. Uh, what are you guys doing as far as improvements on those? And I, and I asked that, those being a budget option, right, for mm-hmm. a lot of people. At a decent, I think, handgun for the money. Yeah. Uh, but because it's budget, it it there's obviously room for improvement. So oh. if anybody out there has any and they're looking for to get a little more oomph out of it, what specifically do you can you do to those? I've I've really I've really kind of fallen for that G three, honestly. Um mm-hmm. when Taurus sent us a couple samples, I wasn't expect, <clears throat> expecting a whole lot, but I was actually really impressed. Um I recommend it a lot to people looking for a budget gun. And the, the backside of that is now we're offering guide rods. We're offering a adjustable trigger, uh, multiple different versions of extensions for it, uh, optic plates, 
we're, we're pretty much fully supporting it. But whatever, whatever that you could probably think of, we have an option for it, except for the striker assembly. And that's something I've been working on uh, with a, a new material that's come out. That mm -hmm. the materials engineer, I don't know, maybe he's smoking me over. I haven't figured it out yet. But we've got some material coming in. And if it works the way they say it will, it'll be for sale for too much longer. And it'll be a good option. It'll slick up the striker and make it basically outlast the gun. And right. It, it, the biggest thing I see with them is just the disconnect on them is some people love it. Some people hate it, but then it starts getting gritty with, with use. And I think this will be a good option because it'll, it'll fix 90% of that. So right. that's the next project for it coming out. And I think, I think it'd be a worthwhile one along with the other stuff. Cause we sell a lot of tortoise stuff and have a lot of happy customers with it. Right. Now moment of, of brutal honesty here, but if somebody does have that, that Taurus and they say, Oh, I'm going to take the plunge and I'm going to get everything I can from, from Galloway precision. And they spend the money on that. The money of that, there the cost of that plus the uh, initial cost of the handgun for that total purchase price. Do you think they come out with a better handgun mm -hmm. in the end than they could have probably went out? And if they, Right. You see what I'm saying? Instead of buying the budget and then tacking yeah. on stuff, if they would have just went out beforehand, do you think they're probably ended up with a better handgun? I think so. I, 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 I mean, if you, if you go all in, I think if you buy everything we offer for it, you're still under a hundred dollars for everything. Right. You know? so yeah. And you're 300 bucks maybe on the handgun. Yeah. Like <laughs> yeah, 289 or something in the last yeah. mail got from, yeah. uh, Palmetto, I think. I mean, like I've seen them closer to the 200 range, you know, on yeah. sale Black Friday and other things. Yeah, right. absolutely. So, you know, you, you get into that and you've got a gun that's, you know, stock, it's really good. And you, you hop it up a little bit and you can, yeah, you got a good good, good gun to carry with. You got a good gun if you want to go shoot uh, Ipsic on, you know, mm -hmm. one weeknight with a gun club or right. IDA if you want to download the magazines. Yeah, I think it's a good compromise. Yeah, I mean, Sub four hundred dollars, you're still well below the Sigs and Glocks, and uh, even the SAR guns have gone way up in price. They're they're good guns, but you know they're they're up in the four hundred dollar range and five hundred dollar range now. So are the Canics, you know, Canic started out super cheap, and yeah, they're gun and they've climbed up. You know, they're uh, what the SFX series is like over five eighty now or something like that. Oh yeah, the the, the that new rival, I think it is that they've got oh, it yeah. now, and the Matei, and yeah, yeah, they're but I think so. That's been what we've kind of started out with making a, a cheaper gun better. You know, we, we started out with Ruger's and I feel like they're middle of the road cost wise. And, you know, they're, they're a good gun to start with, but you know, you can hop them up and make them a great gun. And I, you know, and, and that's one thing I've always appreciated with you guys. Like I said, I was a customer before, you know, I ever, I ever knew you and, you know, I've never looked at a Galloway precision. Now I haven't, taking part in the milling and the you know those types of services but talking about the products i've never looked at something and thought and thought mm, that's a hey that's a little bit overpriced right i've, I've never thought that with you guys so Appreciate you it. know i think you're right the the your, your pricing point especially when you're talking about those upgrades for budget handguns right you're, you're spot on i mean I, I don't know if you've cognitively paid attention and thought well if somebody is not able to afford an expensive handgun. Obviously, right. they can't afford our expensive parts. So we've got to find that happy medium. 
Yeah, you've, you've got to make it realistic. I mean, we, we make everything in the U.S. We don't farm anything outside the, the U.S. And, uh, the, we make pretty much everything under the you know, production building we have here. And that's, like you said, that's important. You have to be able to sell it you know, to the customer and it can't be outrageous. Like I wouldn't buy it if it's outrageous. There's a lot of cool stuff out there. And, you know, it's like, I'm not even going to buy it to check it out and be like, oh, wow, I feel like I just overpaid. And it's not that they're not quality. It's just like you said, it's it's so expensive that the, you know, the backside of things, when you're enjoying it, you still feel like, man, I paid way too much for that. <laughs> you know? Right. The yeah. cheaper the gun is, I think, you know, people are like, oh, it has to be a cheap part. Well, you can make a quality part and it not be expensive, you know, right. but it's also not cheap in that sense of, you know, it's, oh, it's, it's low grade, you know? Yeah. It's, it's affordable. You know? right. That's, I think that happy median, I'd rather make an affordable part that works really well here in the States. Of course. I mean, that's critical, but I mean, people enjoy it. And I think that people come back then too, you know, they, they, like you, you said, you've told people about it and yeah, I appreciate all my customers, even the ones that, you know, are like, this didn't work. Well, Let's find out why, you know, right. We offer it. If, it. if we sell it, it works. We just need to figure out why you're having trouble with it. You know, it, right. it's just one yep. of those, because you're mass produced weapons and the results are sometimes the tolerances shift and you have to do a little thing. There's no way around that. But the idea is drop in and the, the other end of it's affordable. So I want people to walk away and be like, man, I got a good deal. Right. And you made a, you made a great point earlier. Um, you know, what I, what I don't like is when I see somebody from a, you know, if you're going out and you're buying a range toy or, or whatever, I mean, it is what it is, or I'm buying this and it's more of a safe clean or a collectible and there's various reasons to own whatever. But if you're going out and you're picking up something and you're like, okay, this is my you know defensive handgun, whether that be carry or whether that be, you know, some states don't have that uh, luxury and, and, uh, and liberty and freedom. So, you know, for them, it's a home defense, which is fine. But they'll buy that, and then, you know, they'll shoot it a few times, right? And they'll go, okay, you know, and then it goes in the drawer, the nightstand, and they, they don't shoot it regularly. Yeah. And so, you know, I think one of the perks, if you can take something that is a decent handgun, but not, you know, over the top, and you can tweak a few things here and there and make it more enjoyable, like you said, yeah. uh, for that person to, to shoot. Um, the more enjoyable that handgun is to shoot, it's one of the reasons I still carry the, the 42. I love shooting that 42. I can't miss with the 42. It feels like a Glock. It aims like a Glock. It's just, and I know a lot of people don't like Glock, and that's fine. But for me, like that frame, those sights, that just everything with it, it's just the stars are aligned. Yeah. And you know, there's a reason it's still number one in my rotation. It's because it's the one. It's the handgun I shoot outside of 22. <laughs> Let me caveat that. Twenty-two are shotguns. You know, it's the firearm I probably shoot the most, right? right? And that's the one you need to use as your defensive firearm is the ones that you have plenty of trigger time behind. And it helps with that trigger time if you enjoy Absolutely. right, if you enjoy shooting that handgun. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things I'm sure gun shops probably would definitely agree is when you hear you hear the husband say, I bought this gun for my wife and she doesn't like it. <laughs> you know? and it's Who could like, have seen that coming, right? Yeah, did you buy it for her or did you buy the one you want? You know, and, it, and I'm not knocking anybody, but I think that's one of the things, like you, you kind of hit it on the head. You have to 
use the gun. So you really need to like it to start with. And if you don't like it, you need to either get rid of it or you need to, you know, you need to customize it to where it works for you. If it's going to be a carry gun anyway, you know, if it's a, like you said, a safe queen or a range gun, it's, it's kind of irrelevant. It has a different job, but if it's one you're in, right. you need to use it, be familiar with it, maybe happy with it to go out and use it, or it's going to sit in a drawer somewhere or back of a safe. Right. Right. Um, we're coming up against the, uh, I guess the top of the hour here. So if you have uh, questions, whatever, I know, uh, a lot of you have put some stuff out there. Keep that, keep that coming, and I'll keep flagging them, and we'll get to uh, get to Eric. We've got Defense Daddy says uh, I've been curious about their trigger and safety delete for the SAR nine uh, that I bought for the channel. So, um, you want to talk a bit about that, or can you talk a bit about that? So the SAR line, they changed the fire control about five times. Uh, I don't know if it's just because whatever's being made in Turkey gets shipped, it's, and they don't know what Turkey. Yeah, yeah, it's a decent gun. I I do enjoy shooting them. Yeah, they keep changing things. Stop changing things. Uh, but the fire control groups changed with the safety delete is kind of the solution that I've ended up at for the triggers. And what the delete does is it gets rid of. There's like a ridge on the back of the trigger bar that comes down, and it, it's what the what interacts with that bar. So we're just bypassing that by putting the delete in, and that allows the trigger we offer to reset. Because the problem with the safety models that are coming in now is they don't have, because of that ridge, they have too much drag and they won't reset properly. Ah. And I was, you know, I was kind of perturbed because I redesigned the trigger five times and ended up, I made a safety delete, put it in there and it worked in every one of them. And I was like, seriously, this is getting old. So that was where that kind of rolled out. And when I met with SAR USA a couple of years ago, I did a bunch of slides for them for SHOT Show, and we did some custom framework and everything like that. They had our extensions, our trigger. I think they did a giveaway at the same time. Uh, I honestly can't remember if they did it or we did it through them, but we, we built a custom gun uh, out of a SAR-9, and it was a really nice, you know, milled it for a, I think it had a Burris on it. It was a nice setup. Well, they've kind of produced their own versions of those guns since then, and I did, I don't know, probably a hundred slides for them for the first guns, and then they started making them a turkey. And I made a mistake of mentioning too that I was going to do a safety delete. Well, they 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 offer the gun with a delete now, which which is good for the customer. It was just kind of annoying that they copied that. And <laughs> also, in the same conversation, we had a talk about a new reset bar, and I was going to work with Oliver at Ghost. Uh, Ghost triggers to do a reset bar with it, and he just didn't have time really to, to mess with it, and it fell off my radar. Well, now the new um, SAR 9X has that reset bar in it, <laughs> so that that is a completely different setup that we uh, that the trigger won't work with. So we're back to square one on those, and uh, sitting on my desk right now actually is a prototype for the new SAR X with the uh, the what would be the equivalent like a, a Glock three and a half pound reset bar. Mm -hmm. So we'll have a trigger out for it soon, and it'll work with the the delete that you know is becoming more standard on the SAR. Right. Uh, so let's shift over here. We did have a uh, kind of a fun one here. So at the uh, at the top of the hour here doesn't hurt us to hit on that. Uh, he says uh, five hundred Magnum out there. Says Eric. He says, "What's your favorite caliber for carry?" So that's a loaded question. No pun intended. Uh 
Yeah, right. So that's, I don't know. I mean, I'm a grown man. I can take all the hate, I guess, but nine millimeters is what I carry primarily. Um, it's just, it's cheap, what? available capacity. Right. There's a lot of bonuses like, for it. Like, I, I have a I have that same guilty fetish that a lot of folks have, whether they admit it or not, for the ten millimeter. I love. Yeah, man, it's yeah. a sexy, sexy. But in carry, it's like oh, it's terrible. Yeah, it's just it's like so much, so much gun to try to conceal for uh, for hunting. You know, being out in the woods, you know, for for range time, phenomenal. Ten millimeters, phenomenal. Like carry, it's like ah, it's 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 tough. Because uh, when you get down into a frame size, that's especially if you're not a very tall, very big dude. Um, if you get out down into a frame size, it's it's not polite to you at all. No, no, it's not a defensive, not a defensive load. A target load would be fine, but a defensive load's not going to be a handful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's my, and my I can't. Pressure. Right, right. And I can't, I can't harp on you for nine millimeter because again, I, I three eighty here. It's my, it's my primary, so I can't, I can't. There's a, there's a, a, a Sig two thirty eight in my pocket, so it's three eighty. But, but typically nine millimeter is what I carry on me. I had the two thirty eight. Yeah. Dropped it in my pocket with a, you know, the safety lever up because that's one of the cool things you can do with that. And you know, I, I walked out the door to take the kids to school this morning, and then went to the shop and just rode with me all day. You know. Yeah. But, I'd like nine millimeter. That's that's my usual preference. Yeah. Yeah. And at five hundred Magnum, he hit the nail on the head out there. He says nine millimeter would definitely stop me. So I agree. Yeah. I, I don't. Yeah. Get shot. I don't, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't want to get hit with paintball or airsoft. Right. You know what I mean? I really don't. So, you know, um, if 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 I was doing something and somebody wanted to deter me, they could pull out a paintball gun or an airsoft. I'm probably going to turn around and walk away. Right. Right. I'm, I'm I don't, not, I don't want that. I, I did some training with uh, Suarez International several years ago, and one of the uh, guys in the group, he was a trauma surgeon for the largest hospital in uh, Georgia, and you, know, you can guess which city. But he uh, he said that he'd seen over a hundred gunshot wounds in less than two years, and he said I couldn't tell you what anybody had been shot with except for the twelve gauge. He said, "Pass that." no difference he said the, the bullet hole all looks like a little spongy spot and he said the back of it just looks like a ragged hole if it goes all the way through if it doesn't because you can rule out some of the calibers because they don't have enough punch but he said outside of a 12 gauge i couldn't tell you he goes right. they, they all do the same thing and he goes i don't want to get shot with any of them so we, we all agreed on that None of us want to get shot with them. So, <laughs> right yeah. right uh so uh yeah we're up against the uh the top of the hour eric so i'm going to give you uh give you a minute here uh, where can people find you guys? Uh, look up more, follow you. Uh, if you're curious, uh, there's some links down in the description. Wherever you're at, uh, listening live, uh, watching, listening in replay, whatever it might be, uh, check those out. But uh, let people uh, let people know where they can find you, follow, and look at all the cool stuff y'all are doing. Okay. Uh, the website's galleyprecision.com. You can find us on the web through there. Our whole inventory is listed on there, contacts on there, as well as pictures of some of the slides we've milled, pictures of the products, install videos. Uh, we're Galloway Precision on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Uh, we do try to answer questions on YouTube, but it's best to just email us if you have any questions. Oh, yeah. That's just going to be faster. Uh, yeah, you can check out the entire inventory at the website, and our install videos are up on YouTube. 
Nice. Very cool. Well, Eric, thanks, uh, thanks again, man, for jumping in. And we'll see you at Shasha 23. Absolutely. We're booked and we'll be there. So just give us a shot. We'll get up and do lunch. That works. Sounds, uh, sounds great. And, uh, yeah, moving forward, let me know. Uh, next podcast season, whatever, we'll be in touch. If you've got anything new to talk about or, or show off, we will uh, definitely help you get the word out on it. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. You bet. And for uh, everybody else out there, thanks for uh, watching and listening to this one. If you went an hour and four minutes, as I say all the time, you're a trooper. You may need some professional help if you listen to this for an hour and four minutes in uh, audio podcast form. But, you know, it is what it is. We're not going to knock you for that. Uh, and if you did join us live, the people that commented, uh, put in questions. Thank you to those two. Uh, remember, this uh, podcast powered by Trailblazer Farms. Go check out farmsradio.net and all the cool podcasts there. Uh, thanks, as always, to the Patreon patrons, the YouTube channel members, those that super chat. Super thanks, those that shop, clovertack.com slash shop. Did I miss anything? I don't think so, except for uh, until next time, don't forget to chain fire freedom. We appreciate the Patreon patrons and YouTube channel members who keep these podcasts going. If you're looking for cool stickers, patches, and other gear, be sure to check out Clovertack.com. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Clovertack Podcast.